Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. Today I want us to turn to Isaiah 53. I want us to look at verses 6 and 7. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. I want to preach this morning about the silence of the Savior. The silence of the Savior. It's obvious in this text that one of the distinctives, one of the characteristics of our Savior's of vicarious offering as it was foretold and foreseen by Isaiah was the silence that was associated with him. Twice in the two verses we read, it says he opened not his mouth. It is obvious, it's quite apparent that the silence of the servant the silence of the Savior is in view here. I read an interesting quote by an author named Albert Hubert who writes in a book called A Thousand and One Epigrams. Hubbard said, he who does not understand your silence probably will not understand your words. He who does not understand your silence will probably not understand your words. One of the beauties of relationships, marriage, for instance, is over the years, there are things you can communicate without saying. Part of the maturation, part of the oneness you experience in that relationship is to be able to communicate with our words. And truly, a spouse who cannot understand your silence will have difficulty understanding. And this raises the whole specter, the problem we have of dealing with silence. Silence tend to make us uncomfortable. And perhaps the reason is, great apologist G.K. Chesterton, he said that the problem in life is not too much pain. Our problem is too much pleasure. And he goes on to infer that our ultimate issue is not so much our burdens, it's our boredom. Because 
We want to fill the void. The silence of the Savior. Three things I just want to say about this in the text. There is, first of all, the reality of the Savior's silence. As I said earlier, it is apparent, it is obvious, quite explicit in the text that the Savior foreseen, the suffering servant foretold by Isaiah, is one who's characterized by silence. In the wake or in the presence of his accusers and under the weight of oppression. He's characterized by his silence. And, and it's important because if we're to understand the words of God, we've got to get acquainted more intimately with the silence of God. What do we do when God is not speaking to us? in a way that we can understand or comprehend. As I began to toy with this, as I began to play this tape, this silence tape, I thought about silence categorically as it's presented in the Word of God. Here's three ways to look at it. I'm going to give you the two that's not in the text and then go back to the text. There is the experiential silence of God. The experiential silence of God, or you might say the situational silence of God that we experience that proves his sufficiency. This is the silence that comes from God that we experience that's difficult for us to perceive, to embrace, to understand, to relate to, because it seems as if God is non-responsive, non-responsive to our suffering non-responsive to our pain. Is at the heart, this, this experiential silence of God that proves his sufficiency, is at the heart of the book of Job because what makes Job's suffering all the more excruciating and painful and unbearable is God doesn't tell him why. Psalmist wrestles with this in Psalm 35 and 22. This thou hast seen, O Lord, keep not silence. O Lord, be not far from me. There was this fear on the part of God's servants that he would put on the mute button. And it's our fear too. Be not silent. Be not far from me. It's silence that Paul is dealing with in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 when he prays and who has not had that experience? When he prays and there's no answer. Some of us have been praying for stuff for a long time and no response. What we have in the Bible is that he prayed three times and there was no answer. And you get the sense that he kept on praying and finally, out of the silence, God spoke and said, hey, I want you to know something. I'm not going to tell you why you're dealing with this thorn. My, my grace he didn't tell Job why, but my grace is sufficient. The experiential silence of God that proves his sufficiency. Some of us are here today, we're dealing with silence. But God can speak in the silence with a grace. There is that experiential silence that 
proves God's sufficiency. There is the eschatological silence of God that punctuates his sovereignty. That punctuates his sovereignty. I, I want y'all to see something. This is kind of like kind of like Bible study, you know. Go over to Revelations chapter 7. Actually, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 8. I'm, I'm going to show you the last time the word silence occurs in the Bible. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And then I'm going to show you a hermeneutical technique. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was what? Silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, now you can read that, but remember a text without a context is a pretext. What I love about the text is that you, remember the chapter and verse divisions of scripture are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. The silence, there's a reason why there's silence. Because there's nothing else for God to say as he unleashes cosmic horrors on the planet. Why? Back up to chapter 7, verse 17. Look, this is why it says, for the who? Lamb which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears. And if you read back a little further, John saw a number that nobody could number who came up through hard trials and tribulation. The lamb enthroned at the right hand of God is God's last word to a sinful world. And there's nothing else there's nothing else for God to say once the lamb gets to heaven. And all he has to say to you and me, the greatest revelation of all is the revelation of the lamb who shall feed you. And if you don't hear that, there is nothing else for God to say. There was silence in heaven because there's no greater revelation. There is no greater love than the love of the one who came down as the lamb. And John saw him coming and said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So you have the experiential suffering or silence that proves his sufficiency. You have the eschatological silence of God that punctuates his sovereignty. What we have in Isaiah 53 is the elective silence of God that parallels his suffering. Silence was a part of the mystery and the mystique and the manner of the suffering servant. Not because he had no words to say, but because of his mission. In the word of God, he says, nobody takes my life from me. John chapter 10. He says, nobody takes it. I'm laying it down. It was elective silence. He was not forced to the cross. He was not bribed to go to the cross. He elected to go. And this is the word that Isaiah used in Isaiah 42 when he talks about the servant as being the elect of God. If you go to 42 and 1, Verse 1 through 4, you'll see this elective notion. He chose to do it. And evangelism students know what Romans 5 and 8 is. He committed his love to us while it was elective. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He was brought 
as a lamb to the slaughter. He told Pilate, he says, if I want to, just to let you know it's elected. If I want to, I can call 12 legions. I can call 12 legions of angels and they'll deliver me. But for this reason, oh, I wish I had a witness. But for this reason, but for this reason, I have come into the world. But when you understand that God speaks in silence, you will get to the place where you understand that in order to experience the fellowship of his sufficiency, you have to know the fellowship of his suffering. And that's why Paul prayed, I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. In Philippians chapter 3, it was the elective silence of God that parallels his suffering. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 that our Passover has been sacrificed. Now the difference between that type in the Old Testament and the fulfillment of the antitype is that the lamb in Exodus had no choice. If you were a lamb without spot, without blemish, you were an endangered species. You would have been elected by somebody else to be sacrificed. But the Savior, I wish I had a witness here, he elected to be sacrificed. It was the elective silence of God that parallels his suffering. When God selects us, see, Job was selected by God to suffer. When God selects us, it is ours not to unselect because it's in the selection that we learn he is God and he is Lord. He has risen from the grave and he is. He's Lord. So the reality of the Savior's silence is appropriate for us who struggle with silence. We want to feel the void. And that's why one of, the, one of the disciplines that's been celebrated down through the history of the church and particularly in the monastic movement has been the discipline of silence is that we have to learn to get still. And in the stillness, know that he's God. You're trying to cover everything. You're trying to anesthetize the pain. You're trying to buffer everything with noise. And don't just leave noise in an acoustic vein here. Materialistic noise. Corporate American noise. Relational noise. And no matter how you try to buffet it, sooner or later you got to deal with some silence. Silence. The reality of it. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.